This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cami here. Well, first of all, I am only doing two dates for the foreseeable future. On October 2nd, I will be in Chicago. On October 14th, I will be in Salt Lake City. And I just wanted to say that y'all have been really coming out to shows. Like, it has been so many Queeros, so many podcast listeners specifically. It's different. It's actually, it's very, it's a different experience than, you know, other times when folks have come and it's been an audience that was mostly familiar with me from you know, television or like the stand-up world. It just feels very intimate. And I don't know, like we know each other in a different way. So thank you so much to everybody who's already come out. And to anybody who has the opportunity, I will be in Chicago, October 2nd, Salt Lake City, October 14th. And that's all I know about right now in terms of touring. Hey, today I have on the, on the, on the podcast, a wonderful guest. I loved talking to this person. So her name is Indiana Black. She is a a gamer, a coach, a game caster. She plays League of Legends. Anyway, she's going to tell you like a lot more about it. Um, also goes by the name Frostcurin. Anyway, I don't know anything about gaming. When this particular guest was pitched to me, I thought like, yes, I definitely want to talk to them. I have so many questions. And I love this chat. It's like, it. I feel like I learned so much and I really like this person. So please, Queeros, enjoy. And I will see you in Chicago, Salt Lake, or my dreams. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on, darling. I know, I know, I know it's careless. I'm sorry I was late to my own podcast recording. I am... Um, Life is, you know, life is happening. Life is continuing to happen as we all have the opportunity to Zoom with one another. I feel like so, at this point, anyone could just be like COVID. And it doesn't even matter like what that's related to. But everyone's just like, <laughs> OK, yeah, I totally understand. <laughs> um, your setup is pretty, pretty sweet. You got a nice little setup there. Uh, yeah, it's like the benefit of uh, I was like, talking to your producer about this, about uh, interviewing or talking with like broadcasters is that we have like all the fancy microphones and all the bullshit behind us the weird high def cameras yeah a hundred percent um how where are we talking where where are you right now where are we talking to each other from oh actually hang on i always have guests introduce themselves will you introduce yourself we got to do that first yeah do that first (laughs) hi i'm uh indiana black uh i'm a well i was a former video game commentator but now i work in video game journalism and entertainment What's the entertainment question mark? Well, uh, if you've ever watched our show, you know that it's very questionable sometimes. <laughs> I work for a former channel called G4. It kind of ran in like the early early 2000s and then got canceled because just way too much cops on the... No, I think some bigwigs were like, shut it all down. And now they're trying to get back into the Zoomers. So Comcast and Universal decided to bring it back. And they're like, hey, let's hire this uh, washed up neck tattooed... Uh, game commentator to be on our show and i have no formal training at all and yet they uh they pay me to do it well i don't know that anybody has formal train i mean well that's not true some people like went to <laughs> juilliard or whatever and then they're on tv but then the rest of us some of us are just stand-up comics which i don't know if that's i, I definitely don't qualify training. for that <laughs> well sure but you um well maybe we could talk a little bit about then your your relationship with to gaming you know like first of all being a gaming being a commentator like that is like a whole i i don't know anything about this world i'm not part of it um so so sorry because it's going to be like baby's first talking about this um but can you talk to me about like your your personal background formal training no but what 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 is your background uh yeah elevator speech very quickly is is that i grew up from uh portland oregon so pacific northwest yay uh sure used to be the best kept secret of uh the pacific northwest but i just went and visited and now everyone and their mother is visiting portland and i'm just kind of like get out of our city oh i'm gonna be there next week should i should i not go because i'm ruining the i mean 
it, ruination. It w- I mean, I'm going for a show. Okay. So I, I guess, I mean, maybe that counts as... um, Which venue? Mississippi Studios. Oh, yeah, I was just going to recommend it. That is the great... Have you played the venue before? Or uh, I have played Mississippi Studios many times yes. and Revolution Hall and where else have I played there? Um, Curious Comedy Theater years ago when that's where I was at. But yeah. Yeah, Mississippi yeah. Studios is amazing. I like Favorite the little, venue. I like the, the little upstairs. Uh, rail. Yeah, exactly. I'm doing a motion with my hand that's very good for podcasting. There's an upstairs railing hanging over area that's very cool. Yep. Uh, great venue. But yeah, from uh, Portland, Oregon. Uh, basically lived there my entire life. Went to school in a little suburb called Tigard, which is like basically located between... I'm going to say like every uh, Mormon church and Jehovah's Witness church in wow. the state. <laughs> so I had a, a very religious group in my school. Was it also kind of conservative? Because the thing about the yeah. Pacific Northwest is that outside of the cities, I've just I've done some driving around there and outside of the cities, you know, I've no, I've seen some Confederate flags. Yeah, it gets which a little bit a little bit dicey. proud boys. It gets pretty proud boys. Those boys yeah. out there are proud. Yeah. Very loud, very visible. Yeah, we have a weird uh, Nazi problem, uh, which is interesting because right. there's actually like really good and interesting documentaries about it uh, just because it was so inexpensive to move there and to buy up a lot of land. And there have been like several organizations over like the history of the state that have come in and kind of build up these big communities. So you're right, like Pacific uh, Portland is like a hyper liberal city with just like a lot of weird in it. And then just outside, you basically have really hardcore conservative, which is why you have just this uh, political cocktail, if you will, of like Proud Boys storming in and then Trump sending in the feds and then like Portlanders just fighting back. (laughs) I actually was there. I was there for, I was like performing at the Moda Center. I'm just remembering this during one of the, there was like an actual march and like violence in downtown Portland because some of those folks who lived on compounds outside the city (laughs) were coming in to uh, be dickheads uh, downtown in Portland. So yes, I know, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, So I wouldn't say that my school had, uh, I mean, maybe future proud boys came from my high school, but But it was a different five. It was, you said Mormons. Uh, yeah, very religious. Um, basically, everyone around me was just either like Jehovah's Witness, Mormon, or um, Christian. And my parents are religious, but all like super religious. I am not religious. And uh, being openly gay in that school was kind of interesting. So I would say high school, not super fun. Uh, went off to uni, uh, kind of like kicked around a little bit, decided that I really wanted to go into uh, video games probably had like a video game addiction at some point and then um worked a bunch of different jobs from like painting houses to wedding planning to basic retail like everything in between odd jobs to just get around while i was basically commentating video games uh for free and just trying to work up the ladder until i eventually got offered a job to work for a company called riot games and they're one of the biggest video game companies like in the world they make a yeah they are i've heard of them yeah absolutely (laughs) <laughs> League of Legends. I, I knew somebody who used to work on League of Legends. But okay, so hang on. I wanna I wanna just uh zoom back a little bit. First of all, here's a question. You said uni, and you seem to have an interesting accent. Oh what, why why did you say uni? That's that's from England. What's why did you say uni? My wife is English. Got it. Okay. I I was like something has happened where <laughs> there's been an, an infiltration. Um yeah. Got it. So you went to uni um and then I want to talk cuz you said you might even have had a video game addiction at some point or so talk to me about like what was what was happening in your, you know, non-gaming life and then what did gaming do for you like what was that like at that point when you i mean were you playing in high school oh yeah i was playing way before high school they actually find like statistically that most gamers have completed like over ten thousand hours of video game like there's a secondary education happening the amount of time that it takes you to go from like kindergarten to high school most gamers have then also put in that exact same amount of time and playing video games over the course of their life this is so interesting wait what (laughs) so hang on how how old are you I'm 30. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. And a real adult. 
Yeah, of course you're a real adult. It's no, it's not. It's not. That wasn't the question. It was more like, um, because I'm 39. So like, but you're sort of closer to my little sister's age, you know, um, like GoldenEye, for instance, Mm -hmm. came out when I was in high school. And that was one of the things that was one of the, you know, like when I grew up, it was literally I was playing like Pac-Man. I was playing original Nintendo, not Pac-Man, man. You got Don't like, you say oh. Pac-Man. <laughs> no, no. We, I wasn't pl- Come on. I wasn't playing in an arcade. I had a Nintendo Entertainment System, mm-hmm. um, and I was playing Duck Hunt, Tetris, and original Mario Brothers. <laughs> One step above Pac-Man. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, but I just say, I say GoldenEye because for me, if I think back in my life, like that was the sort of moment where people that I knew started talking about gaming, taking up a lot of their time, like outside of school. And like, and it was something people were doing, um, like just in a different with having a different relationship to it. I don't really remember the gateway that drug. Bef- yeah. It, that's what it, that's what it felt like, you know, for my generation of people. Um, but then, you know, I'm imagining for your generation, that's like, a totally different situation because you were growing up in like a completely you know like i remember when i got my first nintendo for christmas and it no. was like what we can't believe we have this at our house but like that's not the generation that you grew up in at all oh no but we had the similar vein of like the the place like you get the, we would have the nintendo 64 would be like our what and yeah. like, the sony playstation but uh in terms of like the timeline on gaming from where like the different gateway drugs if you will into, yeah like, gaming uh addiction or, or gaming leisurely activities uh golden right. eye definitely yep. a goat up there but uh mine would be i guess pokemon i was like the pokemon generation uh-huh yep but uh i started gaming because my mother was my mother's a CPA, but she very early on figured out that computers were going to be the future. And so when I was very, very young, she would be putting herself through night school trying to learn computers as they were coming out. And I just wow. remember um, sitting on my mom's lap and we had like a home computer very, very early on in my childhood. So I've basically grown up with the machines and her uh, had she had discs uh, that we would play Sonic on. And just Mm -hmm. so she could figure out how the computer worked. And then um, because she was a a single parent, uh, having a video game console was a lot cheaper than a babysitter. And so she'd have her friends watch my brother and I. um, And we had a Sega console and we would play Sonic and Tails on it. But I basically had video games or had like a a fluency or or language with video games from as far back as I can remember. Would would they come to your house or would you be going to her friend's house and bringing your system with you? Uh, Whatever was easiest or probably cheapest at the time. I remember both like staying over at my mom. Like she had a best friend um, as I was growing. I can't even remember the woman's name, but I like very vividly remember her house. And uh, as my mom was working like crazy hours uh, because we lived in California and then in Oregon at the time. So very expensive property prices uh, being dropped off very early and almost left there for days and then being picked back up and kind of cycling back through. Yeah, that is like a very, I mean, that's a, that's a, that sounds like a very intimate relationship with, you know, I, I think about Leah, you know, showing up and bringing that with you. That's, uh, you know, it's like a, a video game. Blanket. Yeah. It yeah. taught me how to read. Um, my family. So it was funny because like we had a video game console and we had a computer, but for a lot of it, um, it was because my mom worked for companies that she was able to get the stuff through. But we ourselves mm-hmm. were not uh, wealthy. We actually lived beneath the poverty line for a really long time. And so I remember uh, there was like time periods where we'd have to, especially when we moved from California to Oregon, we couldn't afford like an apartment. So we would be living in my mom's car at the time until she could get enough rent to, to move us in. And we had um, a pokedex book and it was like the only book that we had and it would just basically have like all the pokemon and then just like the description of the pokemon like when they would evolve like they're like just little facts about it sure and me and my brother i've like now to this day there's math problems or like very important history my wife's birthday that has just been replaced by did you know that uh, charizard evolves yeah into pidgey level 18 yeah sure (laughs) wow (laughs) yeah so. Wow, that's that's beautiful. Um, wow, that is actually that's very sweet. So, when 
you're having this whole experience as a kid and when did it sort of become, you know, you don't have it in that story. It's like, it's sweet and it's amazing. It's also, it's like the sort of level of agency that we all have as children. where like when our parents drop us off places or when that's the thing that's available, that's what we're doing. And it's different to then make a choice to be, you know, interested in that yourself. So do you remember the moment where that happened, where you, you know, made the choice that like, this is actually something you were interested in? Uh, yeah, it was a game called uh, Final Fantasy VII, and the game's significance from just an educational standpoint is that um, when the PlayStation or the Sony PlayStation came out, it was the disc games, and uh, the graphical capabilities like it completely changed the the game. Before, you know, you'd have like little pixels moving around, and games had been kind of capped at what they were graphically able to do. And then Final Fantasy VII came out, and suddenly you'd have like these cinematics, and games got a lot more realistic. They got a lot more um, immersive, if you will. And uh, hilariously, the storyline is about uh, eco terrorists. You play as a, a eco terrorist to save the world from a mega corporation who's like taking oil from the the ground and slowly killing the planet and that's like the the compass of the game and it, like i said it, it taught me how to read because there's no voice acting at the time so it's all text based oh wow right uh, right and this was just uh i was obsessed with this game i it to me it was basically like a book so if who are you like playing a, as uh you play as like different characters but you you play as a the main character's name is like cloud and they have a a guy named like Barrett and the game deals with themes of like uh, death and gray area and like memory. Like, it's a, a really serious game. And I was, I think it came out in 1997. So I was like seven, eight playing it, maybe, maybe wow. six about there. Um, and just being like, just amazed at this game. And uh, obviously as I got older, I was able to complete it, but being younger and kind of like just running into different problems and learning how to problem solve, learning about frustration and, uh, how to lose and then what winning felt like and then slowly going on like this crazy epic journey. I think it'd kind of be the same thing as like people who grew up uh, reading like The Hobbit or um, yeah, like the Harry Potter books and you're kind of slowly going through like that magical journey except mine I was just able to physically interact with. First of all, don't ever, this is, you can't ever say that you're untrained for your job again. This is, you have to put this in your brain and, and play it because you're so excellent at talking about this stuff. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's really beautiful. To, I like, I'm, I'm super into this conversation because I, while I don't know anything about gaming, you know, I love the way in which media in general has the way that we've been trying to recreate ourselves in media. Humans have been trying to recreate ourselves in media as that's switched, you know, okay. So like we've always been storytellers, right. But then we, <laughs> we like created computers and the way that we've been trying to replicate ourselves, like I'm super into computer animation in movies and film. I think it's really interesting. Um, you know, I remember when I first saw the, uh, it's like the, the library and then the ballroom scene in Beauty and the Beast, which are uh, wildly different in terms of the technology that existed at the time from anything that existed in animation before that. Or like watching Terminator 2 and the morphing technology that they're using that made that, and I also love practical effects, but which is why Terminator 2 is so cool, because half of it is also practical effects, and they do a really good job with the practical effects. Um, but I think it's really cool that we, it's like we up our game at being able to tell stories because we're adding new features when we're doing it well, when we're doing it badly, we like replace storytelling with like garbage effects that you can't even follow. But when we're doing it well, it's this cool integration that like elevates what we're, what we're, um, you know, what we're able to do as humans. And we've always been doing that. So it's, you know, this is just how we're doing that now. And that's kind of what I hear in what you're talking about. Um, for kids, you know, I was like, a, I was like a reading kid. I was a, nerdy reading kid. And I love that you're talking about being able to interact with that story because I think while I was doing that, like outside in my backyard, when I was playing, like I loved this, Imaginary this book Bridge. Games. <laughs> yeah. Like I loved th this book Bridge to Terabithia. And so I like had a, an area in my backyard that I called Terabithia with like my older sister. And we had you know, names in Terabithia and like we drew a map and like, that's what it's the same shit, you know, it's the same it's the same thing. Um, 
And that's what I love about the way you're talking about it, because I think for people who don't game, it can feel very like, what is this? And how did you get into it? And like, what do you like about it? You know, you're sitting in front of a screen and I mean, that's a hilarious thing to say in 2021 because we all are, but, um, but do you know what I'm talking about? The like, I mean, I don't, do you ever get that dismissiveness from people when they find out what you do? All the time. Um, my wife, uh, she had video games growing up, but she's not a gamer. And uh, it's been like this really interesting, almost like cultural difference that we've had to really <laughs> overcome. Sure, like, I hear you. <laughs> understanding uh, sure. the, the significance of games. And uh, I think mainstream is just now starting to get it. But obviously, like a lot of mainstream is really focused in on like the negative elements of games or like this uh, perception of games. Is that where we're still at? We're still yeah. there. <laughs> Unfortunately. Oh, okay. I mean, sometimes it it gets better, but just like you're saying, I have never seen a better medium for the ability to tell really incredible stories um, as I have seen with uh, with video games. Uh, There's a game called Red Dead Redemption 2, and Mm -hmm. it is just uh, if it could just be a book or a movie, I don't care what medium people intake it in. I think it's probably one of the most important stories to have everyone experience. It is just like the most beautiful story. Wait, I've, I remember, I mean, I remember the like ads for that, but what's the story that if you could like give us a yeah, it's, log uh, line? <laughs> it's, uh, it's based in the timeline where the Wild West has basically run out and civilization is creeping on and you are uh, playing or following the story of kind of one of the last outstanding gangs of outlaws. They're not good people by any means, but uh, they're trying to find a place where they can just kind of continue to live their life how they have been living it but there's nowhere else to to go anymore because uh cops have been set up or the government has been set up and now they're wanted and they're hunted everywhere and you play as a character named arthur morgan who is uh reconciling with the fact that he has done really bad things and questioning if there's anything that he can do to maybe even fix it if it if he's worthy to have a place where he can live out his, his lifestyle, if that's something that he's earned or even deserves to do. Um, and you as the player can make the choice of if you want to try to redeem yourself and fit into the society ah, that's been built, uh-huh. or if you want to continue to be an outlaw. And um, there's elements to both that, you know, he's lived this way. I think he's like, in his early 40s he's lived this way for 40 years so why not just continue to do it or uh if you want to try to fix everything but the depth of characters um the world that it builds and just going on arthur's story i think it's it's a perfect medium for teaching empathy and teaching uh just about different walks of life and just the different way that you get to interact with everything no idea how you identify um in terms of like gender you know sexuality things like that but playing as does that who do you who do you like to what types does it matter (laughs) what who you are playing as like is it are you trying you know when you're playing a game are you trying to play as a certain type of person or like does that not matter because you're talking about increasing empathy um you know, what's that experience like, your personal identity as it collides with who is in games, you know, whose characters are? Uh, so I personally identify um, as a professional lesbian. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, Great. I was a 500 footer from like 500 feet away. You could like see me coming. Um, sure. Uh, <laughs> but in, if I'm able to like make characters, because obviously there will be different games where you're able to design your entire character and then role play and basically insert yourself into the storyline versus having a game where everything's uh, designed and sculpted, where you're you're given a character that has their own backstory and you're basically playing them almost like a roller coaster, like on these rails and can sure. maybe make some adjustments. Um, whenever I'm given the ability to design a character, I always play basically as myself. I'll design like a female character or a character that identifies as a woman. And if there's an ability for me to romance another woman, like, uh, I'm in there. <laughs> I'm spending the time in the dating sim romancing options. Uh, 
But it's interesting uh, that you asked that because actually there's a there's a really big uh, trans and non-binary uh, percentage or population of gamers. Um, right. Because obviously, like, you, you get the... And games are starting to accommodate for that now. Um, Cyberpunk is, like, one of the newest games that released and you can uh, have... Um, like a penis said you can be a woman or you can have right. a vagina and you can be a man and it it uh the games have been designed around this so however you want to identify i don't even think i knew that anybody in a game has a penis but oh uh, uh, yeah you know what i mean but it's like amazing to fight because like as i said duck hunt is like kind of my more my, my, one of my more recent for a, there's no penises in duck hunt. There's no penises in duck hunt. Yeah. You can't. Well, I think they're there, but they're not featured. Yeah. Um, yeah. They don't have so, physics on them. Yeah, exactly. So that that's that's really interesting. And I think some of what you're talking about, I was like saying yes as you were saying because I've also, you know, when I've talked to people on the podcast or I, you know from friends of mine, it's you know it's sort of what you're talking about is something I also hear about in like the D and D community. It's like any community where you can be. A variety of characters and have a variety of experiences and also um, explore different gender presentation than maybe you were assigned at birth. I, I know there's, I know there are lots of folks who gravitate toward that. Um, that makes so much sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. So you're in these games romancing, <laughs> romancing women. <laughs> um, well, I want to go back and talk about. <laughs> Hang on, we're because we're circling back. Um, because there's you, a lot I know, it just branches out. You got so first, you said that you were commentating, but not professionally. Yeah, so is that like, are you talking about like, is that like Twitch? Like, what, what are you talking about? This is before Twitch even existed, right? Okay, right, sure, okay, yes, in a pre Twitch. How does how does it where, where were you doing this? Okay, what are you so, talking about? <laughs> there was a piece of software called Shoutcaster, and it was a oh um, I've never even heard of that. This is so fun. Yes, it was it was basically kind of like early podcasting or early radio presenting, and that's where the name comes from. So I'll say commentator when I'm talking to uh, basically people who aren't in like the esports or uh, gaming. Yeah, world. like a like an idiot like me like a like a. <laughs> Like a sweet, like a well-meaning idiot. A visitor, yes, keep going. if you will. Yes, a visitor. Okay. How much kinder than what I said? Yes. <laughs> um, but in in my actual profession, I was known as a shoutcaster. And we're named after that piece of software because that's where Got it started. Got it. And okay. we're basically exactly like how you would see it in the NFL where you have your color commentator and you have your play-by-play -play commentator. The color or the play-by-play -play would be like the... The, the 10, the 5, touchdown! And the color commentator yes. comes in and is like, oh yeah, the holes in the defense, he was just able to line it up and throw it, like, yep. whatever. I was a color commentator for a game called League <gasps> ah, of Legends. So you're looking at the whole scope of the thing, you're bringing in history, you're bringing in um, you know, how how these folks, with the projections for the future. You're yes. like really... The play-by-play -play is the what yeah. is happening on the screen, the color caster is the why it's happening. <gasps> Thank you for that very succinct definition got it so you were a color comment you were a color shoutcaster yes for league of legends and i literally have a i mean i know somebody a, i used to have a podcast where um the producer's husband worked on league of legends and they would go to big giant tournaments like at the staples center yep um which is where the for anybody listening it's like where the lakers play and also the clippers um and also the sparks which is the most important thing to mention um but i prior to you know because she it's like i so i had this video i mean not video i had this um action movie podcast called wham bam pow and she would be like telling me what she was going to do with her weekend and she's like yeah we're going to this tournament at the staples center and i again you know somebody totally outside of this world i was like what are you talking about? And then she described it to me. So people are playing live and then people are watching. It is, you know, this is when I, this is when like the phrase esports was first on my radar because I had no idea that that was, I just had no idea that this was happening. Um, can you talk to me a little about, a little bit about what League of Legends <laughs> is? So sorry. 
No, no, no. You're totally fine. Um, so League of Legends is a game that you play on the PC, and it's under a genre called a MOBA, which stands for the Multi-Online Battle Arena. And that genre has different games inside of it. So there's games called League of Legends, uh, Defense of the Ancients 2, or otherwise known as Dota 2, Heroes of the Storm. These would all be MOBAs because of how they're played. Now, there are other esport titles that are then under other genres like FPS, which stands for first-person shooter. And that would sure. be games like Counter-Strike Global Offensive, CSGO. Um, Fortnite is usually one that would go under uh, a shooter, games like Valorant. And we have what's called our Tier 1 esports. And this would be kind of in the same way that Americans would define, like, um, like cricket's not popular in America, but basketball and football are. So that would be, like, our Tier 1 sports versus our Tier 2 sports. And the most popular esports are League of Legends, Dota 2, CSGO, Valorant, and Rainbow Six. So three of them are FPS and two of them are MOBA. And MOBAs are considered, uh, how you play them is you play them on a map um, that has three different lanes and then a jungle. And you have five players on each team, just like in basketball, and they each have different positions and different responsibilities to the team. It's played live, so 5v5, 10 people per match. And you have a top jungle mid AD carry and support and the same way that you would have like center attack or center wing. I'm trying to think of like basketball. Like, yeah, like you play offense and defense simultaneously. <laughs> Everything is happening in live. And sure. the, the competitive element is that you have to communicate. Um, you have set plays. Uh, we call them the, the macro game. And then you also have the mechanics. So the reflexes and the ability to pilot or control your inputs on your mouse and keyboard to control your character in game. You play what we call champions, but just think of them as, I guess, little magical beings that can do different abilities. And you have to coordinate with your other teammates to defeat the other team. Okay, great. You've done an amazing job, and now I have so many places to jump off from <laughs> here. Okay, so if you could, like, and maybe you just actually know the answer, but if you don't, you could just guess. Like, how how many people More play than League of Legends? play soccer in the world? But how many people play soccer in the world? <laughs> like it's million. You're so you you mean millions? Billions. Bill. You said the word billions. Yes. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay, that's great. Uh, so right. here's a. So you've probably heard of the game Halo. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Halo, super popular game. The amount of time that people would play Halo, globally, everyone in the world playing it, whoever plays Halo in a month, people play League of Legends in a day. Okay. Wow. Okay. All right. Hang on. It is, it is so, played more than people play soccer in the world. Okay. Got it. Okay. 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 All right. So billions of people are playing League of Legends, but then there are pros. Yeah. And those pros, and you're talking about five people playing at the same time. Is that a team that is static yeah. of those five people? So it's five pros that always play together and they're a team that this is, the, this is what they do. So League of Legends um, uses, in my personal opinion, the safest and best model for esports, but there are different models. So kind of the two most popular ones are the CSGO tournament model and then the league structure model for League of Legends. So in League of Legends, you have five major regions, North America, Europe, Korea, China. <laughs> I can see your face and it's so good. <laughs> and um, Southeast Asia or we would call it LMS. And uh, inside those leagues, so in the North American region, it's called the LCS, which stands for the League of Legends Championship Series. And in the LCS, there are 10 professional teams. So 10 times five, you have 50 pro players that are North American. How do you get on those teams? Sorry, I need to ask you this question. So as you physically play the game, and the game is free to play, which is why it's so widely played, because it's so accessible, and it's really easy for any computer to run it, a really shit-tier computer, a potato could run this game. So super easy to play, super easy to access. Um, you play through the game, and you're given ranks. It uses the same system as chess does, which is ELO, 
You win a game, you get plus points to your rank. You lose a game, you minus points to your rank. And then you can categorize on your server who are the top 100 players. Now, the top 100 players are going to be playing each other all the time. So the community up there is very small. You get to know each other. And this is where the scouting happens to find the pro players. So anytime this comes in for uh, an Uber ride, and now when I'm in an Uber, I'm like, I work in IT. I'm a librarian. I don't I, I know. But it used to be people would be like, oh, yeah, my cousin plays video games. He's really good. I bet he could do that. You can't do that. It, no, <laughs> there are only like 0.0005% of the population who can play to the level that they do. It's not just some kids. So you're scouting. Games. Yeah, you're scouted. And who is scouting you? Uh, so teams now, the infrastructure has been built up where you have multiple analysts and coaches for these teams because these are multi-million dollar investments. So who? how does the team make money? <laughs> yes, I love this question because I actually just did like a lot of research on this. So like in traditional sports, a billionaire or a millionaire is running themselves in the red over a vanity project in the same way that sports teams kind of sell off the they like look at another millionaire. They're like, hey, you want to own the New York Jets? Like, hey, OK, they shake hands and they sell it off because uh, right now this is what everyone's struggling with is how to monetize it. Now, the big way that it, it blew Wait. up it, especially in the West. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> the big way that it blew up, especially in the West, is because of the gateway um, to watch it, which is through a, ch- uh, a uh, website called Twitch, a streaming service called Twitch, like like Netflix. Got it. It's owned by Amazon. But what Twitch does is it monetizes viewership. So uh, 100,000 people on Twitch are watching this. It runs ads. And then you get uh, ad revenue that way, as well as sponsorships. But most teams, as well as the leagues themselves, are have their entire revenue um, inflated by people investing money in sponsorships, but there's no real return that's being made off of it because no one really knows how to monetize this massive fandom correctly. And Twitch is the only platform that exists, so there's no competition. In China, which is the biggest league in the world and the biggest esports market in the world, they have competing platforms. Like Twitch doesn't have a foothold there. So how they make money, and they do it very successfully, is they will sell the media rights to the different streaming right. Uh, right. Like corporations. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. But media rights don't exist in Western esports. And Western esports are, again, basically entirely supported off of uh, companies sponsoring money into things and millionaire investors deciding that they're okay running themselves in the red. (laughs) I mean, I guess I guess what surprises me is that the ad revenue isn't isn't enough. But I mean, I, I understand what you're saying about. So are there people who are known like these, you know, like you're talking about these millionaires and billionaires are is that in this world are those people are those like silent investors or are those people who are known like it's like, oh, yeah, Jay-Z, Magic Johnson, like these people. Oh, yeah. Is yeah. it? Do you know who they are or do you not know who they are? Uh, Drake's an investor in an esports team. Uh, <laughs> I've heard <Steve>. Drake. <laughs> Steve Aoki's one of the investors. Um, oh, the, sure. The son of the wealthiest man in China owns an esport team uh, in China. Uh, Golden Guardian or Golden Guardians, uh, Golden Warrior, the Golden State Warriors. Are an investor in a team called Golden Guardians in the LCS. The 76ers oh. own a team. Uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that one is very funny to me. And I mean, I guess it makes sense, but okay, got it. So if you are playing at this level of professional where you're one of the five people on this team, um, are you traded, recruited, scouted by competing teams? Uh, yeah. So there's different laws depending on what region you're playing in. In Europe, you have a lot more protections because uh, Europe has a lot more employment protections than North America. But in North America, and this happens all the time, uh, you can basically just have your contract owned by a team and then sold to another team without pretty much your say in it. Ah, okay. So, And the gamers themselves aren't like breaking their contract and leaving because of a bigger offer. It's It's... Because we live here, it's the players that are getting fucked over, not the companies. Yeah. and But it, it's okay. very, uh, I mean, it's sad, but also very funny. Because also then you have to understand that the average age for these players is uh, 17 to, let's say, 25. And they have no real world experience because they went from living with their parents to living in a 
a gaming house or a frat house and then making oh. millions of dollars a year on their gaming contracts and only sure. living online. And then they have a massive social media presence. And when something happens that they don't like to them, they will immediately just blast it on Twitter. So like you think like celebrity social media and sports social media is spicy. Esports is like a whole nother world of just like, you're just watching these very inexperienced, immature individuals with a lot of power and no filter. <laughs> wow. Is there a, um, and I mean, like, I can certainly look this up myself, but like, what do these people, these folks who are at this level and making this money, do they also have to be, I mean, is it like in you know, Hollywood or in other types of sports, like, are they also supposed to be hot with like important romantic lives? Like what is expected of the, you know, I just think about like a basketball player where it's like, you, you're supposed to like wear the coolest clothes and like have like the hottest partners and like be hot yourself and like showing off your abs. You know, I think there's like an expectation of not just talent, but like this whole persona around that and is it a similar thing so um each region has like a different fan culture around it and i would say in north america the uh the expectation or the thing that you're selling in terms of creating your own individual brand is uh being very hip with like memes social media you have Got to be it. like very very funny, very like, you can't take yourself too seriously. Right. That type of vibe. But right. in China and Korea, it is very much you are, uh, the fandom is much more predominantly female, whereas in North America, the fandom is predominantly male. So when you go to Oh, that's the, so interesting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when you go to So the, it's like a BTS thing? Yes. Like, for, like, got it. Okay. The, got it. Exactly like K-pop. They're treated like rock stars. It's completely different. You'll see like a, an esports promo for a North American team. It'll be like very serious. They'll like, they'll uh, cross their arms and like, ser like serious music today, Team Liquid versus. And then you go and watch a, a promo for a Chinese team or a Korean team. Chinese teams are the, the worst at this. And it'll be like them doing cutesy stuff where, um, a girl will be like leading the pro player by like his hand, like they're on a first date, or there'll be like a sexy shower scene where he's like pushing his hair back and he's like covered in water. It's very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean the the audience thing that you just broke down is is really interesting to me. I guess I will also ask in terms of players because this is so this is a community that you're still in. Like this is yeah. still what you're part of. So in terms of folks that play in North America. Um, how, is it, is it mostly men? Uh, yes. So and is it mostly like cis straight dudes? Uh, yeah. In, in League of Legends, there's only ever been one professional female player. What did you just say to me? <laughs> uh, yeah. Keep going. So I can make this better, though. So um, <laughs> okay. I just I hilariously I have to go and do a recording after this uh, podcast later on today where I'm actually doing like a big because the BBC just released their article about like, why aren't more women in the top esports or gaming? Because people are always like, oh, wow, this is actually a sport where there's no physical advantage that men have over women. So theoretically, totally. women, women can compete at the same level. But if you look around, it, it's ninety nine percent. Uh, or like talk about the trans, like the anti-trans legislation that's going on right now in this country and everybody's freaking out about like, not everybody, horrible bigots are freaking out about dumb shit. Yep. Uh, this is just another interesting place for something like that to play out where it's like, what were you trying to say to me? Because anyway, we're all playing with keyboards, but keep going, keep going. No, but yes. uh, cool, fun fact. The first ever esports winner ever, uh, Space Invaders in the 80s, is a woman named Rebecca Heinemann. And she went on at 16 years old to basically code a bunch of different games and uh, is, is trans herself. So not only do we have a, a woman winner, but a trans uh, woman winner. Uh, one of the greatest North American StarCraft players. And StarCraft is like the godfather of esports. It's like the serious hardcore one. It's like the chess to our checkers. Um is a, a woman named Scarlett. She was the North American champion and she was the only North American to go over to South Korea. South Korea is like the the mecca of StarCraft players. Like, if you're not competing in South Korea, you're not worth anything. And uh, as the North American champion, Scarlet was the only individual who was good enough to go and play with the the Korean players and holds wow. the most uh, 
GSL like holds the most appearances and consecutive victories as a non-Korean player. So she's the only North American player that could stick up to them. We have uh, a female player in Overwatch, which is an FPS, uh, as well as we had a female player in League of Legends named Romelia. So, and we have a female Hearthstone champion for the first time ever. And she was literally, as she like won the Hearthstone Grand Champion, she's like up on stage and she was like, yeah, when I signed up for this, a guy in line told me to go home because women weren't welcome here. So. Wow. Uh, so what sexism about- definitely exists, but we also have a lot of uh, female pros at the highest levels. <laughs> sure. I mean... Well, that makes sense because it turns out ability is like not affected by sexism, but experience experience of the you know process certainly is. I'm curious if if um you know is this a, is this a community like how do you feel as a part of this community? Is it do you feel like you do you feel accepted and do you feel part of the community, or are you hearing you know silly garbage about that's like homophobic and you know, sexist? Like, what? what's your experience, a, a day-to-day experience? Um, so it's very, very polarizing. Um, I'll, I have experienced really horrific things in this community, especially being, like, a front-facing, uh, openly queer, visibly queer woman. Um, there is, to say that there's no uh, transphobia, homophobia, general bigotry in gaming is not true. The uh, the alt-right has done a really good job of infiltrating the gaming sphere and just really radicalizing, like, the, the Venn diagram layover of, like, alt-right and gamers is is a little bit too close to a perfect circle for my, uh, for wow. my taste. But there's also, again, because you get to uh be whoever you want in a game like i was saying there's a there's a huge population of lgbtq uh plus gamers uh, trans gamers non-binary gamers and so you have like this really big bastion of uh of a lot of support but they don't interact and they're not as loud as the really big bastion of a lot of hate like uh 41% of all gamers are are women so it's not like it's a small a small portion it's just that the women like to play the fantasy MMO games and the men like to play the, the shooter, uh, competitive games. I mean, that's, that's interesting to me because yeah, I mean, okay. What year was it? 2013 or whatever, when like Gamergate was going on, Uh which I am going to describe as, I mean, again, as somebody outside of the community, that was like, there was worse. (laughs) So Gamergate was sort of, there was like a community within, there was, there was women that were, gamers were being doxxed. So uh, Gamergate harassed. was started over yeah. journalism. Uh, yep. Ju- yeah, yep. started over w- journalism. <laughs> women in video games, ju- in, in video game journalism. Yeah. Yes. Women uh, in video game journalism. Oh, yes. a woman made a review about a game. The sentiment was that, um, the review was better for her because using her womanly prowess to get access to these different reviews and have things. So it was like the the integrity of our journalism is being attacked because women are right, using their bodies right, to skew right, the right, 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 right. Yes, this is not. Yes, would yes, I remember that. This is about ethics in video game journalism. That was like that was like one of the earliest, like not earliest, but if so, like if Twitter was a you know came out uh <laughs> if twitter appeared in 2006 i just remember in 2013 that was like i think i mean i think that's the year but anyway that was for for such a long time this is about ethics and video game journalism was like a yeah a full-on meme of, that was then making fun of this bullshit who was that person that wrote that review was uh it, anna it, i'm gonna mm, mess up her was name. it anita sarkeesian i don't uh, know i'll have to google it um and i'm i'm so bad because I, I know somebody who was doxxed I, I know a person who was doxxed as a part of this and uh, that's just horrible. anyway but so so but your whole point go back to what you're talking about oh no I, what i was gonna say is gamergate's actually really important um and i keep trying to get people to like listen to this as like someone inside the community to like call for help as like this massive problem is brewing um there's a really good book about the alt-right and it's literally just a history about like where the alt-right came from and how it's like it's transvert or uh changed its form and and now how it's leading to like all these big issues and it doesn't even go by the Mm -hmm. alt-right anymore 
But mm-hmm. when you look at Gamergate specifically, you have people like, uh, Ma- what is his name? Milo Yiannopoulos. Yes, sure. We don't have to even care whether or not we've pronounced his name right. Keep going. <laughs> but uh, he was very much against gamers. Like, there's all of these these tweets about him calling gamers, like, basement dwellers, and they all suck. And a bunch right. of alt-right figureheads or plot or amplifiers on social media and then after gamergate suddenly the the tune really shifts and they see a uh, an opportunity to take uh, this misogynistic rage and transform it and in the book about the alt-right history um the in the journalist who wrote the book um was basically on all of these boards he went to like 4chan which is like the dark web's version of reddit and uh mm-hmm. was able to find comments from stormfront which is a neo-nazi uh board follow it onto 4chan like follow the users onto 4chan in the b board follow that onto reddit and basically was like they saw this happening they explicitly said in these chat rooms here here it here uh we're going to go into the gaming space and we're going to monopolize on this hatred and we're going to spew our propaganda and see if we can get this machine to work about this is how we're going to troll people this is how we're going to dox people this is how we're going to attack people on the internet because it helps with our propaganda and gamergate was the first time the blueprint for how that was going to be used and made that a successful attack by and we 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 use the throwaway word trolls but what it is is propaganda and it started that propaganda war if you will and in smaller uh emphasis on online and so it, it's just hilarious yeah. that like i come from this gaming community i saw this happen and then i'm also quite like politically engaged and i'm like gamers have seen this i, I know what's happening over here this is yeah, bullshit. Totally. <laughs> well i mean i get what you're saying though because you know another thing that makes sense to me about what you're talking about is so it's like a place where people can speak to each other live that is also unregulated and that is people are speaking in their own voice, yep. you know? And I think, I mean, now there's something like Club Clubhouse exists um, as an app or like there's like Facebook audio rooms, you know, podcasting has gotten to the point where, where we're like very used to listening to each other talk, but it's still not live. It's all- um, and so it can be edited and things like that. So I'm imagining for a group of people that are looking to radicalize folks, like what a great place to do that because you can just like, it's unregulated. You can say whatever the fuck you want. It's live. You can, you know, turn the tide of a conversation. You can introduce racist, homophobic, or like, you know, transphobic language and just n- normalize it as a part of because it because it's because it's not like that's not what the game was built for. Yep. But it has this like side ability that we didn't at the time have in other places. You it's know, the like slow boiling frog. You know, if the frog is yeah, into totally. the water and sure. It, it sees in our memes all the time. Like the like you're saying, that undercurrent of just misogynistic, uh, homophobic, transphobic language in just memes that people are posting all the time or jokes. And it it doesn't immediately be like uh trans people are evil. Like that's not the message that it's sending, but it gets you to laugh at trans people. It makes them the joke and then it normalizes a larger audience into demonizing this group and th- it it's a it is not not miscalculated it is not an accident it is very much calculated it is very much intentional and i think that's like the really scary thing and uh no one's really talking about it or like pointing it out and in in my community in the gaming community uh we're plugged directly into the internet we are taking in so much of this media and this information all the time and it's changing all the time and we're i'm like i always talk to people like i'm on the front line of seeing this happen in real time before you know two months from now your mom's posting that same meme that i saw right on uh like she's posting on facebook and i was right there when it was created and being like hold up (laughs) wow yeah so we've talked you know a little bit about i think i'm curious about (laughs) Yeah, we've talked a little bit about everything. I think I'm curious about the positive effects that this has had on your life, because, you know, as I look at the time, we've like probably four more minutes and and then I'll ask you to I'll ask you one final question. But, you know, for you, I'm assuming that this has a that this is a positive place in your life because you're continuing to pursue it and, and be part of it. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, where you are and, and what this is, what this job and community is like? in your? Yeah, Um so the positive elements uh, of being a gamer and being involved in that community is that word right there, community. Sure. <laughs> um, 
there and I think people now in the the post COVID world kind of understand or they're able to empathize a lot with it uh, better because now they're having to use the tools oh, that so gamers have already been been using. Forever. That's so like, interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, uh, I have some of my best friends I've never met in person, but I've been gaming with them for years, and we talk every day. And I I know it's like really hard for people to look at their partners and they come home and they game all the time. And they're talking to their friends, but like ah, oh, you know, they're just playing video games again. Like not. But the thing is, is like if they looked at that as um, they're going out to the bar with their friends, or they're going out to the restaurant with their friends, or they're having their friends over for like a poker night. Like if you change that language or change that imagery, I think it makes a lot more sense for people to be on board and kind of remove the uh the the bias of like gamers just being loners in their basement you know planning the next awful thing to happen um so good things is is just the the relationships that i've made with my friends my ability to stay connected especially during really hard times like i'm gonna be really honest i was super fortunate in covid i was like this is, <laughs> I'm buckled in. I know exactly how to get through this lockdown. Nothing really has changed for me. I was an inside person anyway, and I just got to hang out with all of my friends and continue to to do the activity that we like to do together. Yeah, that I love what you said about other people having more compassion and understanding because I I do have, I had the, you know, pretty transformative experience this year in that there was like a group of women and I have never, first of all, because of like what's going on for me gender wise, I've like never totally felt comfortable in like a group of women. I mean, I was, I played, I was on teams, sports teams with a group of women, you know, when I was growing up, when I was in high school and college, that's sort of like, that felt like, okay, we're like on the team together. And it's not like I don't have, you know, I had college roommates. It's not like I didn't feel, but I just always was like, something's a little different about me, you know, like. I don't, I don't know. This is like totally my team. And I was just talking to my spouse last night about how like I always have I always have like a couple of like sort of soft butch dude, straight cis dude friends. Like I always have I've, I've had this my whole life. There's like they're like usually tall and like artistic. And then we and I just there it's like a it's like I just make them. I don't even mean to. They come in and like it's like. Every era friend. of my life, yeah. there's these dudes around me. And I was talking to Katie last night and she was, we were sort of, I was like, why? Because she has like no straight dude friends. She has a lot of like gay dude friends. Um, and I was like, why is this happening? And I think it's like something about that person to me feels a lot like me. Like, it's like, I don't always, other like masculine of center, queer people, um, I don't always totally feel the same as because there's like a weird competition thing going on. We're like, we're like doing some like dick measuring and it can be stressful. Um, anyway, something about these guys, it's like, I can relax. So no, I totally, my best friend is exactly that. And I always used to joke. I was like, <laughs> he's basically just me. He's just, it's just the the male version. I'm just the female version. But right. I, I totally <laughs> so you get what I'm saying. Or just the same energy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Same energy. Yeah. Same energy. Um, but anyway, in COVID times, I, this woman I really trust and like, you know, invited me to be a part of this group of people. We have lunch together on Tuesdays and Fridays, like just on zoom. And, um, we've done it for over a year and a half now. And I'm really, really close to these people at this point. And that's not an experience that I had had previously. We all go around and like talk about our lives and, um, it's very intimate and sweet. And it's also not in person. And, uh, some, you know, in-person friendships have developed from that because some of us live in the same city and might go for a walk together, but it doesn't, it doesn't totally matter. Um, and I just say all this to say, yeah, before that experience, I don't think I would have had any idea what you were talking about because it just, it didn't make sense to me. I think that we could be really close to people that we are not in a physical space with. And so, yeah, thank you to this technology for, you know, giving me that new view because I do think I was kind of limited in understanding um, why people game in community. Like, I just didn't get it. Uh, well, friend, before I send you back into your day, I do want to ask you to shout out a Queero, which is a person, place, or thing that made you feel like you could be who you are today. It's like a queer hero, a queero. 
Okay. Um, my Quiro is an individual named Sonic Fox. They are a non-binary black furry, and they are the greatest fighting game player in the world. They won <laughs> so- multiple titles. Uh, in multiple different games, they are repeatedly the best. And what's great about them is they take every single opportunity and their platform and their spotlight to make the place, uh, the gaming community more uh, accepting. So like when people get to pick the flags that represent their country, uh, they will always pick the transgender flag. And then they stand up on stage, they win the tournament and they say, you can't even be mad because I'm the best. <laughs> Wait, hang on. What is their name again? Say it again. Sonic Fox. Sonic Fox. Sonic Fox, I'm looking you up. I'm so curious about you. You sound they, awesome. They are the greatest. <laughs> wow, that is so cool. And wait, did and what did you say? You said they, they play what kind of games? A fighting game community. So they play, um, their big game is called DBZ Fighter, Dragon Ball Z Fighter. Um, <laughs> but they'll play a, a lot like Mortal Kombat, Street, like those types of games. So oh it's, like a, it's a one-on-one, very serious, like the community is very much into like trash talk. And Sonic Fox is like the perfect trash talker because they'll come in, they'll be like, I'm going to beat you and you're not going to be able to touch me. And everyone, like gamers, are just like, oh, this non-binary black furry, I hate everything about you, but I can't do anything about it because you are the best. Wow. Well, speaking of being the best, I loved this conversation. I loved, like, thank you for your openness and for doing so much um, explanation and and really bringing me into a world that I don't know a lot about. It was super cool to talk to you. And now I want to... I need to know I need to know more about this. I need to like come to a tournament some t- I just want to see it. I just need to understand so at some in some non-covid time in the future. I think I really would like to know more about cuz I I like love that you know the world is made up of subcultures. Like it's like when straight people are like wait, you're a queer person, you have like your own thing and it's like yeah, yeah, we have like history. We have books that we love, you know, like, it's like, so anyway, I love We have coded whole, language and signs. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and you're like, we are bigger than soccer, you know? So anyway, I need to know more about this. And I really appreciate you taking the time to, to tell me everything you told me today. Yeah, no worries. Thank you so much for having me on. A big fan, by the way. <laughs> oh, cute. Thank you. Hooray. Hooray.